0: Uh, my name is Dave Oyatamari. I'm on the teaching team here, if I haven't met you folks yet. So we're in week two of the Story of Jesus series, right? And for those of you, hopefully, that are in the small groups um, and that you've, you've really had an opportunity with your teams to... Um, can we turn the fans down or <laughs> what? Sorry. But um, that had an opportunity to talk about your, your week one um, uh, session with your small groups. We went through the birth of Jesus, and it was so... Um, interesting, because in our small group, we had talked about, like, what was the, what was the um, most amazing thing about the birth of Jesus? Thanks, guys. And then, um, and so we talked about the Star of Bethlehem and how amazing this cosmic event was at that time. Uh, people talked about how, you know, there could be a virgin birth, uh, and how significant that was, you know, for that, and, and how mind-bending it was. And really, what really struck me about the story of Jesus is, you know, I think for most of us, Especially if you come to church for a while, you know you've heard this before. You know you've heard the story. You've heard about the shepherds and then the wise men, and and then yeah, there was no room in the inn, and so you you kind of get the basics of the story. But then when you start unpacking it further, and you get like it's multi-layered, and I think that's what makes the story of Jesus so special and so amazing. Is that as you kind of unfold all these layers, you just go like wow, wow, wow. So And week two is going to be no different, and our hope is for this entire series that it actually, um, by the time we're all said and done, you'll see how, why this is the greatest story ever told, and why Jesus is is such a remarkable person, and why we call him Lord. And so I thought about this, and I said, you know, so what's your story? You know, how would you explain your story to people? And we all have some, you know. Some of us, it might be really boring, (laughs) like mine maybe, you right? Or some of them might be the kind of like reality TV that producers would drool to put your story on television or something. And I think that by the end of this series, right, and we've only just started, there's only week two, you'll see just how special the story of Jesus is and why it's so enduring and so everlasting. And this week, we're going to take a look at the start of Jesus's ministry, Okay, we're gonna look at the start of his ministry. And I'm gonna pause for a minute because when you say the word ministry sometimes, um, it can seem like church speak to people when you say ministry. Like, what, what does that mean, ministry stuff? And by ministry, I'm just gonna define it simply as doing God's work. Okay, just doing God's work. And technically, Jesus, when he was born, was already born doing God's work. Okay? So we're talking about the start of Jesus' ministry. And the start of his public ministry, okay, um, is what we're going to talk about today, the start of Jesus' public ministry. We know very little about Jesus when he was a boy. And the the thing I I remarked upon this was that in Luke chapter 2, we know a little bit when he was 12 years old, and this is the one where, this this kind of is a funny story, actually. This is the one, you guys might recall, where um, Joseph and Mary are walking for one day and they realize they lost Jesus, right? You guys remember this one, right? So they're with like all their friends and family and, uh, and they, they look around, with, you know, they're, they're making this trek and they're like, oh shoot, where's, where's the boy? Where's the kid, you know? And then they actually end up having to go all the way back and it says it takes them three days to go back to Jerusalem to try to look for Jesus. And what happens is, so this is 4 days later and I can't even imagine what 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 would happen if after 4 days I couldn't find my son Joshua. But then you go to Jerusalem in the temple and there he is. And and you know the, the first thing you might imagine, I was, you know we we're talking about this last night in our small group was like you know if it was Joshua, right? And after 4 days you you couldn't find him. You know what's the first thing you might say, you know like eh, come over here. You know you made us, you know so nervous and sick, you know your mom and me. And 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 you're looking at Jesus, and there he is, asking questions and just kind of hanging out in the temple courts with with the religious leaders. And if you turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, um, it actually says, well, before that it says that people were amazed at his understanding and answers. You know, 12-year-old kid. And you're like, that's probably about, what, sixth grade? And they're already blown away by this kid. But the thing that I, I really take away from this, and I've seen this several times in the Bible, is in that verse 51 and 52, it says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The part is, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And, and before we get into Jesus' public ministry, I was telling the group last night, I think it would be so awesome if Mary kept a diary you know, and we could read the diary and be like, what was he like when he was a little kid? Because, you know, she's treasuring all these things. You got to imagine for Joseph and Mary, you know, this boy who was born under remarkable circumstances, they're they're just kind of holding in there going, wow, you know, like, wow. This And and every day must be a wow, a wow, a wow. And we're talking about like how his first public miracle was when he turned the water to wine and the way, you know, I kind of read that passage was sort of like, you know, here was these, the, they went to a wedding banquet and the mom kind of turns to Jesus and be like, hey, they have no more wine, right? And, and, and his response wasn't like, oh, they don't junk. No, his response was like, mom, you know, like kind of like, I'm not ready yet. You know, my hour hasn't come yet, mom, right? But it, it, my interpretation of that was, boy, it must have been really interesting to grow up in Jesus' household because he must have did these miracles all the time, right? Because if she's turning over and saying, hey, there's no more wine, she kind of knew what was going to happen, right? Because after that, it says that she she turns and tells the servants, hey, just do whatever he tells you because watch what's going to happen, right? And I think that would be so awesome to have grown up with Jesus, this kid, and you're like, you know, you know, things happen one after the other, and there's miracle after miracle. So that's kind of what we know that, yeah, Jesus already had a ministry from the day he was born. But then what we're going to talk about today, right, because the Bible doesn't talk too much about kid time. What we talk about today is the start of his public ministry, okay? And as the story of Jesus, it starts with the baptism. John the Baptist ends up baptizing Jesus. And so in this, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 3. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to go to verses 16 to 17, right? And this is, you got to imagine, John the Baptist is a well-known guy, pretty famous, okay? Not pretty, he was very very famous. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he actually ends up baptizing Jesus. And his first reaction is like, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me, right? But Jesus says, no, no, you've got to baptize me, okay? And so this is what happens, and this is really the start of Jesus' public ministry, okay, in my opinion here. So it says in Matthew 3, verse 16, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, and I I don't know what this voice sounds like, but my, my interpretation, my vision of what this might be, right, is like, this is my son, right? Well, I guess it doesn't sound like that. No, but <laughs> a, lot more, a lot more loving. That sounds more like Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like that. But this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased, right? And you've got to imagine, you're hanging out at the Jordan River, and the sky rips open, right? And then this, this, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, like a, and then you hear this voice. You're going, wow. Okay. I've read that many times. And I've read it like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of remarkable. But let's internalize that for a minute, okay? How many of you have been to a baptism, right? And if you've been to a baptism, you know that just how amazing that is. Because in a baptism, it's a special time. When people publicly declare their faith and and their their commitment and just turn over their lives to Jesus in front of everybody, the people closest to them. It's it's this physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth, right? And when people come out of that water, they're all smiling, right? And you can't help, if you've been to a baptism, you can't help but just sense the Holy Spirit is just just drenching them, literally, literally, drenching those people who are coming out of the water. And they have God's love just all over them. And then all of heaven, and Pastor Max had talked about this, all of heaven is singing and smiling and rejoicing at that moment when those people get baptized out of the water. And it's this really significant time in someone's life, right, when they get baptized. But check this out, right? When Jesus was baptized, something a little extra special happens. Okay, maybe not a little extra special, but... Hugely extra special happens, right? The sky rips open and the spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. And visually, this is an impressive thing. And that's not the end of it because then you hear the voice of God, right? This is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And that would be the way to start your public ministry (laughs) with the voice of God. And sky's ripping open, right? And I thought about it. I said, "What would be the closest thing that we experience today that's like that?" And I said, "You know what? I think it is. I think it's like when you go to a sporting event, and at the start of a game, there's that excitement. You know, you know what I want to talk about? So when I and and maybe if you you know haven't gone to like a professional sporting event, maybe this is a little less." reachable for you in terms of what i'm talking about but when i used to go to the los i used to live in los angeles and i went to the los angeles laker games yeah <laughs> and and this is what would happen so i would go to the Staples center and before that with a forum and they would announce you know the, the visiting team and yeah okay and then right then it was the home team and the lights would dim and then the strobe lights would go off right and the guy would be like and now you know you're Los Angeles Lakers, right, and the crowd loses their mind, right, it's like, yeah, right, and it's, that's kind of how I I envision this happening, right, it's it's like when they go like, and now, starting guard at six foot nine, Irvin Magic Johnson, everyone's like, yeah, right, (laughs) I'm thinking like, that's got to be what it was like at the Jordan River, right, it's like, it was like this booming voice. Everyone's like all excited, losing their minds, going like, yeah, right? So like in modern day, I think the way I, I think we should think about the public ministry, or the start of Jesus' public ministry at the Jordan, is kind of like that. It's like a, it's like a Laker game, but times 100, right? Because it's God's voice speaking. And if, if in, in, in our modern translation, maybe it's Dave's translation, it'd be as if, you know, it was like, The sky rips open, right? Instead of strobe lights, it's like the Spirit of God descends on Jesus, right? And it's like, and now, starting as Messiah, playing as my son, whom I love and was well pleased, it's Jesus, right? And everyone's going nuts. And I think that was the baptism of Jesus, and that was good. And the crowd at the Jordan River is losing their mind, and they're like, he's the one, this is crazy. I mean, if we can lose our mind from a six-foot-nine guard who shouldn't be playing guard, we can lose our mind when the Messiah comes and we see the sky rip open and the voice of God descend on him. It's a momentous baptism. And that's the first part of the story of Jesus is that we got to look at this in a, in a much bigger way than maybe we've read it before, at least the way I read it before. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool, but this was a huge deal. A huge deal. Then the second question you've got to ask yourself is, is at the Jordan River. It's like you go, but why was Jesus baptized in the first place? Because who gets baptized today, right? It's all of us sinners, right? We're, we're, we're sinners and, and we want to die to our old selves so we can be born again in the new, in the Spirit of the Lord, as followers of Christ. So why was the Son of God baptized? Why was he baptized then? Because he had no sin. And one reason, you know, quite frankly, which I think was very clear, is that Jesus' baptism visually demonstrates that he's one of us. That he's God, but he was also human. And the very act of baptism is not only spiritual, because I think that part is very, very obvious, but baptism is also a very human thing to do. It's a very human thing to do. See, in being baptized, Jesus identified with God's people, with us. He's affirming as well that baptism is the right and good thing for us to do. And this is why we continue to be baptized today. Because we treat it with such reverence today because Jesus himself was baptized. Because it was, it's one important way that Jesus identified as being human and with human beings. Because Jesus was very clear that baptism is good and baptism is appropriate. And then what happens right after his baptism is also quite amazing, too. His public ministry began he was baptized. You know, he had, he had the voice of God, the Father, right? Let's get rid of the rumble, right? And, and the announcement to the world. But what was his first order of business? Did he throw a party? He didn't throw a party. Did he, did he just start raining down lightning bolts to show his power? Didn't do that e- either. In Matthew chapter 4, let, let's turn to see what Jesus does. He says, then, right? So this is after the baptism. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man should not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil Took him in the, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. First order of business for Jesus after his baptism, start of his public ministry, to go into the wilderness, fast for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes hungry to be tempted by the devil. And you're like, yikes. But that's exactly what happened to G- after Jesus came out from his baptism. And as a human, you might also, I think, think of this as like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden versus the devil. Take two. Right? This is like the rematch. The devil starts with the basic temptations. He knows that Jesus is hungry. Right? So, he starts to tempt Jesus by saying, hey, you got power, turn those stones to bread and you're not gonna be hungry anymore. And it might sound very rational. It might sound very logical. You're hungry, right? And you have the power to stop hunger and God doesn't want you to go hungry, right? So you're justified. Just turn the stones to bread and be over with it. And the point I look at this is the devil does this all the time. He makes things uh, that go against God look so logical and, and so, so, so basic that, y- that we can get fooled. And it can sound so practical and, and it will tempt us to go against God's will. And how does Jesus respond to this first temptation to turn stones into bread it is very simply it just refers to God's word. So devil strike one, Right? And and next, the devil takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple, tells him to throw himself down to show that God's angels will not harm Jesus, will not let harm come to Jesus. And this tests really, as humans, whom do you place your trust for safety and security? And once again, Jesus responds with the word of God. And this time he states it's not right to put God to the test. Devil, strike two. And not to be deterred, the devil comes back a third time to tempt Jesus, and this time he appeals to the human desire for power uh, by trying to offer Jesus all the world's kingdoms and splendor in return for Jesus' worship. And once again, Jesus replies with the word of God and reaffirms that that only the Lord our God is worthy of our worship. Devil strike three, you're out. And so Jesus, as sort of the second Adam, right, wins the rematch of humankind versus the devil. He wins the rematch. And the point is very clear here. As humans, we're going to be tempted all the time by the devil with seemingly logical reasons to advance our basic needs like food and safety and maybe even power and splendor and wealth. But if Jesus himself was tempted by things, you can bet that we're going to be tempted as well. And the devil is not just a myth, but a rare, of a very real being whose goal is to divide us from God and from each other. And Jesus shows us how to handle this. We can handle it by knowing, internalizing, and using the word of God. And I imagine this, that, you know, after the 40 days and 40 nights, the angels... Tent to Jesus, leaves the wilderness, and he comes home a winner. He comes home a winner. And in his first public act of ministry, you know, he's as the second Adam, goes for that rematch, got ready to rumble, took down the devil. And in doing so, he shows all of us, right, what the winning game plan is. What's the third thing Jesus does in his public ministry, he challenges the religious leaders of the day. So you notice that Jesus engages and confronts religious leaders throughout the Bible. He's not this passive, non-confrontational, as as some might sometimes suggest, incorrectly about Jesus. See, Jesus is not this meek, passive, love everyone, kind of hippie type, with the peace sign on his shirt, you know. Hey, how's it going? I mean, no. Right? Jesus is someone who is assertive and confrontational. If you turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, this is what happens, and this is what it says. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man there, whose right hand was, sh- was there, whose Right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. So this is kind of getting good. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good? to do evil to save life or to destroy it he looked around at them all and said to the man then said to the man stretch out your hand he did so and his hand was completely restored but the pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to jesus see the religious leaders the pharisees and the sadducees were jealous of Jesus' influence on people and conspired to have him killed at that point. I mean, Jesus performs this miracle of healing a man's withered hand, and you're thinking to yourself, this is amazing, and how often do you see that type of healing, and yet, instead of praising God and and marveling at the good gift that was just given to this man, the religious leaders instead focus on a rule that no work is to be done on the Sabbath. And it's hard for me to believe when I read this that this kind of stuff happens. As I, I read it and I wonder, how come there isn't more awe and surprise that this man got healed? That where did this power come from? And who is this guy Jesus? But that shows you just you know, how far the religious leaders had gotten away from what is good and true. And that is why Jesus had to be there. And the Bible says that these religious leaders had hearts that were hardened. And Jesus shows us that in ministry, you've got to be bold. And sometimes it's offensive to those whose hearts are hardened. But yet we're called to confront that which is not of God. Not in, in this world especially. And that can be a hard thing for us to do. A really hard thing for us to do. Now, the, other, the fifth thing we, we see in Jesus' public ministry here, too, in his story, is that he speaks with this religious leader named Nicodemus, right? And I love this account because this is a situation where we know that Jesus is very comfortable confronting people one to many. With Nicodemus, here's a situation where he confronts somebody one-on-one. He, he has a personal uh, relationship and a dialogue with someone one-to-one. And so for that, let's turn to John chapter 3 and and start in verse 2. And you'll see Jesus uh, talking with Nicodemus. So this is Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So it's pretty amazing. We pause there for a moment that Nicodemus, who is a religious leader, uh, acknowledges that Jesus must come from God. And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And, you know, understandably, Nicodemus goes, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely, They cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things?" No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. In the quiet of night... Here's this religious leader, Nicodemus, comes for a private conversation with Jesus, acknowledges that he's got to be someone from God. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. And at first, Nicodemus doesn't understand the meaning. And Jesus is is telling this Pharisee, you know, this, this Nicodemus, who's someone who is highly revered in society, who is the most knowledgeable about the scriptures, he's a teacher of the law, that it's not enough for you to be this Pharisee to enter the kingdom of heaven. To enter heaven, Jesus says to him, we need to be reborn from above. And that is by the grace and work of the Holy Spirit that we are given salvation. And when I look at all these things of of Jesus' ministry historian this is just like i said part two we got so much more to unpack right you look at the baptism and and again you hear the booming voice and the ripping of heavens and the spirit descending like a dove and no i won't i won't do the voice again for you guys again (laughs) but but imagine that in your mind when you read that when you read it that's what i would envision you guys have in your mind that if, if a man can make Irving Magic Johnson sound so great, God the Father is going to make the Messiah, Jesus, even greater. And then from there, he goes into the wilderness, is tempted by the devil. And he just calls upon the word of God. And when you look at that exchange, a lot of that was things that we get tempted with every day food and just security and shelter, power, wealth, that all gnaws at us today. And Jesus is showing us, this is how you deal with it. I got tempted with it, Jesus would say, and so will you. That's part of being human beings, right? And here's how we face that, and how, how we overcome it. And then it's not okay to just sort of be meekly like, hey, peace, everybody love everybody. Jesus also showed us that being of God, in the ministry, in the public, in the world, you're going to have to be confrontational, especially to those whose hearts are hardened. Yeah, and that's sometimes really hard. Because I think, and we talked about this before, I think in our society what's growing in value is relativism, you know? It's kind of like what's good for you is good for you, what's good for you is that's yeah, okay. Let, let's let's just not offend anybody, right? And yet, when you look at what's truth sometimes going to be confrontational, right? You do it in love and you do it in truth, you know? And it's not for us to judge, right, the Bible says. And yet, what's true is true. And sometimes we're going to be confrontational. And that's just the beginning of Jesus' story. And so I'm really hoping that some of you who are not in a small group will think about it today. And I think in the back of the bulletins, there's... there's Uh, small groups, and you just call them up or reach out and say, I want to join because I want to learn more about the story of this Jesus guy. See, one of my stories is before I became a Christian, and this was uh, during the college and right after college years, um, I was first an atheist, and then I was an agnostic, and then I said, you know, I I think um, there is a God, but I think people clothe God a little differently uh, so, different cultures just are talking about the same thing a little differently. And I didn't quite know who this Jesus guy was. And I just said, you know, maybe he's like a good teacher just like all the other guys, like, like Gandhi or Mohammed or, or uh, Siddhartha and all this stuff, right? Um, but if that's you and, and you're trying to wrestle with this today, the best thing you can do is, because what I did is, Go read the story of Jesus. And then you'll see why it is truly the greatest story ever told. And like me, it was like you read through it and you're like, oh, this is, this is different. This is different. And I, I encourage you to join a small group, learn about the story of Jesus, and all the layers that are there will come revealed to you and the Holy Spirit will work to you in, in your life and you'll find what you're looking for, right? Would you stand with me? We'll, we'll close. It's uh, just the beginning of a great series. And um, when I was telling the small group, I said, it's real interesting because when I was preparing for the message, uh, the application part wasn't as obvious to me uh, because it was like just being real descriptive and and telling the story of Jesus. Um, But as I was kind of praying into it this morning, you know, one of the things I said is, oh, actually, Dave, there is a lot of application here because the story of Jesus isn't just purely descriptive but it changes lives and it changes our attitudes and it changes our faith. So um, encourage you to engage in that way and bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much um, that we have Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you walked amongst us, that you could relate to us in that way. Uh, as we look through your ministry, and as we look through your story through these next several weeks, that I pray that for every person here that you would, you would just resonate in their soul. That there's so many layers of your story that we wouldn't just take all the stuff at face value and say, yeah, I know, I know that, yeah, I know that. But really the significance of all the aspects of your story, the multifacets, we really awaken our spirit and our soul to see how great you are. Because truly, God, even for someone like me, I've read it many times that it awakened me. So I pray that for everyone here this morning and even those who weren't able to join us here today but are serving in other capacities and there are other parts. But we thank you for your story. And I just ask that everyone just, just help all of us dive deeper into it. In your name, amen. So um, Pastor Mark was just um, letting me know that if you're not in a small group, it's not too late. There are, are uh, sign-ups out here to join a small group. Um, and you might, again, be someone just want to check out the story of Jesus, okay? Wherever you might be. You might not be a Christian. You're just checking out church. There's someone who's been going to church for a long time. Sign up, and I'm sure, like, the small group leaders are going to be welcoming you and happy to have you there, okay? God bless. Have a great week.